Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. This week, the escape of Daniel Khalifa from HMP Wandsworth has shone a spotlight on the government's prison record. Over 60% of prisons in the UK are overcrowded and there are severe staff shortages. Justice Secretary Alex Chalk told Laura Koonsberg that the relevant security staff and protocols were in place during Khalifa's escape on Wednesday, but he did not yet know whether the protocols were followed to the extent that they should be. Chalk also claimed that the government was working hard to attract and retain prison staff. Were there enough staff on duty on the day he escaped with the right training? OK, well, well f- first thing to say is I want to thank the Metropolitan uh, Police for uh, seizing him. I also want to stress that these are very rare uh, events. But when it came to light, I initiated two uh, investigations, an investigation first into the circumstances of his escape, but also to the issue of categorisation. But I also asked for an independent investigation so that when we get those conclusions, we will be, they will be rock solid. Now, in terms of I asked for preliminary uh, uh, results by the end of this week. We are now at the end of the week. And I am able to say that it's clear that the relevant security protocols were in place. In other words, protocols about the the head count that must be made after goods are unloaded from a lorry, for example, about the searches that should take place to a vehicle before it goes through the airlock and leaves. Those protocols were in place. And second, to your specific question, Mm -hmm. the relevant security staff were in place. So there were enough staff and they did follow all of the rules, including on vehicle well, searches. The real, now, this is the point. So the real question is, were the relevant protocols followed to the extent that they should be? And that is precisely what we need this investigation and indeed the independent investigation to get to the bottom of. Because look, this clearly was a very serious matter. Yes, very rare and much rarer, incidentally, than you know, 20 years ago or so. But We've got to get to the bottom of it and those investigations are in place. But, Minister, we know that on a very regular basis there weren't enough staff in Wandsworth Jail. And a recent report said that actually more than 30% of prison officers were either absent or unable to work. Staffing has been a repeated issue there. Well, so... Staffing is something that is an absolute priority. And you mentioned right just in your opening remarks mm. that the numbers are ticking up. It's worth reflecting an additional 4,000 or so since uh, uh, 2016. But oh, also, hang on, it's I, I, still down on no, no, 2010. That's, that's, that's you true, know that's that. True, that's true. So there was a real fall-off, Let, and then in recent years it started to tick it, up. Exactly. Yeah, but let's get that completely clear. And I want to deal with this point very specifically. So, uh, since May 2022, the numbers have uh, gone up by 700 in that time, which is to your point. But here's the really, really important point is that the so-called attrition rate that's to say the rate at which prison officers leave is down by a very meaningful amount and that's because we've done you know really important things to address that one We've accepted in full the prison service pay review body uh, recommendations on pay. Second, we've invested £100 million to improve security. That's to say, every prison officer having body-worn cameras, that's important because in potentially volatile situations, you can dial down the temperature and ensure that what might have escalated de-escalates and to really support our prison officers who do an exceptional job. It is a difficult job. With the total number of prisoners in the country expected to keep rising... Chief Inspector of Prisons Charlie Taylor pointed out that in the 1990s the crime rate was higher, but the country's prison population was half of what it is now. He suggested that lowering this number was key to improving the system and preventing prisoners from re-offending on release. Former advisor Salma Shah said that politicians from all parties weren't interested in long-term prison reform.
Charlie, give us some historical perspective, because if you go back and, you know, we've been looking at the numbers in the last couple of days, say 20 years ago, we did lock up far fewer people than we do now. The minister there was reluctant to actually reveal whether he would like to see a higher or lower prison population. But how is it how has it changed? Well, if you go back to uh, the, the mid 1990s, when actually crime was much higher than it is now, our prison population was half what it is or pretty much half what it is today. I think it was around 40 to 44,000. And it's now gone up to over 88,000. The projections are that it will go up even further. Uh, and the problem is, if it goes up even further, what that means is more prisoners sharing cells that were designed for one person, uh, continuing to use these old, battered, crumbling, vermin-infested Victorian jails, which would make fantastic museums or flats, but really are not fit for purpose for the 21st century. But also that there aren't enough staff in place to be able to unlock prisoners and actually to begin to do the things with prisoners that are actually going to help them to not offend when they come out. Prisons have got a, a public protection duty to keep people locked up when they're inside, but they also have a public protection duty to make sure that they put in place the things that mean that when someone leaves prison, they're less likely to re-offend. And, and you won't rehabilitate really someone if they're banged up in their cell. Oscar Wilde, after he left Reading Jail for two years hard labour, he, he wrote a letter to the press in which he said, in a Christian or in a civilised society, when a prisoner leaves, they should be embraced, they should be welcomed, they should be thanked, they should be congratulated. They are free, they have served their time. But in England, he said, when you leave prison, that is where your sentence begins. But, Salma, there is, though, politicians pick up on public concern, don't they? Do you think you're going to see, at any point in the near term, a politician making the kinds of arguments that Stephen's been making I mean, about rehabilitation and getting numbers down? This is exactly the point. I mean, which politician, whatever party they're from, is going to put front and centre in their manifesto that they want prison reform and that's going to be their focus? Do they privately believe it and they just don't say it publicly? No, I think there are some that privately believe it. I mean, actually, Danny Kruger MP, who's on the backbenches, I believe, he's, he's done a lot on prisoner reform. So there are pockets of people who actually do care about this issue. Mm. But, you know, on a, on a macro level, are they going to stake an election on issues like like uh, prison reform and rehabilitation. But just to go back to something you said, mm. you asked the Justice Secretary, does he want to see a lower prison population or a higher prison population? The answer is very simple. You want a lower prison population because you want crime to be reduced mm. and for fewer people to have to have custodial sentences as a result. And that is a longer trained thing rather than just talking about prison reform. And that's also a big challenge for any government and, and this government probably as we're on the runway to the next general election. Koonsberg asked Shadow Business Secretary Jonathan Reynolds what Labour would do differently when it comes to prisons. Reynolds pointed out that the government actually put aside a significant amount of funding for prisons, which they have not yet spent. But he avoided clarifying whether Labour would increase that figure, instead focusing on the need to improve economic growth. Labour has been very critical of the government's handling of it, but would you commit to increasing funding? Well, perhaps the most extraordinary thing when you look at this is in the government's own spending plans, they actually put a significant amount of money into capital spending because prisons are so stretched. Now, they haven't actually spent it. I think they've spent £1.3 of the £4 billion allocation as it stands. So the first thing to say would be spend the money and get on with your plans. But again, it's a key area of public services that are just not delivering as but the people Would you commit spent. to spending more? Do you think it needs more cash? Well, look, 
whatever area we're talking about, whether it's schools, criminal justice, the NHS, I will always bring that back to the fact that if we want and need to return to the kind of public investment we saw, frankly, under the last Labour government, the economy has to do better. If we've got the kind of growth rates we've had since 2010, if we've got low productivity, low wages, all of that limits the money you can spend on public services. So, of course, that's important because what I want is good jobs in every part of the country, but it clearly has an impact on what you can spend on public services. That's why my area is so important. A parliamentary researcher with links to several Tory MPs was arrested this week after being accused of spying for China. Trevor Phillips spoke to former MP Rory Stewart, who said he was very concerned about attempts by China and Russia to undermine democracies through espionage and funding. Stewart claimed recent military coups across Africa suggested that democratic governments across the world were under threat. Should we be reviewing the allocation of, of these passes? We should be reviewing two things. Yes, absolutely, the passes, and secondly, the funding. Because one of the other things that's come out with China is not just that there's a researcher in there, but that people with strong links to the Chinese Communist Party have been giving money to Labour MPs and employing former Conservative MPs. So I, I'm very worried about the parliamentary passes, and, and you'll remember that there was also a case of somebody with apparent uh, associations with, with Russia, mm -hmm. who was a parliamentary researcher for an MP getting access to the Defence Committee. We have to be much, much more serious. Russia and China have aggressive espionage agencies. The Chinese intelligence agency, one of the largest in the world, they're desperate to suborn countries across the world, and Britain is not being serious enough. I, I won't ask you um, how you know what you do about spying, uh, but how seriously do you take the threat to our democracy from that kind of activity? Very seriously. Uh, remember, this is not the 1990s where the number of democracies in the world was doubling. We're now in a world where we've just had coups right across Africa, right the way across Sahel, now going down into Gabon, seven countries. Democracy's been taken over by a military coup in a year. Many of those countries waving Russian flags, receiving support from China. And it's in the interests of authoritarian states to weaken countries like the United Kingdom. So we should be very, very cautious. And finally, Kunzberg spoke to the UK and USA military chiefs about the current situation in Ukraine. Admiral Sir Tony Radikin said that Russia's aim of subjugating Ukraine had failed and will never happen, and pointed to Russia's isolation on the international stage. General Milley was more circumspect when talking about Ukraine's counter-offensive, saying it was too early to know how much success Ukraine will have before winter sets in. Ukraine is winning and Russia is losing. And Ukraine is winning because the aim of Russia was to subjugate Ukraine and to put it under Russia's control. And that has not happened and it never will happen. And that's why Ukraine is winning. And Ukraine is making progress in its battle for it to regain its territory. It's recovered 50% of the ground that Russia seized. And you're seeing the international community also applying economic pressure and diplomatic pressure. And Russia is suffering because of that. And it's broken these rules and it's paying the cost. Do you agree, General Milley? There have been fears Ukraine's summer offensive hasn't gone as well as hoped. That offensive kicked off about 90 days ago. It has gone slower than the planners anticipated. <clears throat> but that is the difference between what Clausewitz called war on paper and real war. So these are real people in real vehicles that are fighting through real minefields and there's real death and destruction, there's real friction. And there's still a reasonable amount of time, probably about 30 to 45 days worth of uh, fighting weather left. 
So the Ukrainians aren't done. This battle's not done. They haven't finished the fighting part of what they're trying to accomplish. So we'll see. It's too early to say how this is going to end. They at least have achieved partial success in what they set out to do. And that's important. Uh, and then the rains will come in. It'll become very muddy and it'll be very difficult to maneuver at that point. And then you'll get the deep winter. Uh, and then at that point, we'll see where things go. But right now, uh, it is way too early to say that this offensive is failed or not failed. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman, and this podcast was produced by Joe Bedell Brill. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with an analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week. Mm-hmm.